Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to be with you on this uh, Palm Sunday. I hope that you will join us tonight for that service of uh, praise and prayer and reflection. Again, good Friday morning at 10 o'clock, and then next Sunday, the highest uh, day of the year, really, the most glorious day of the year in the Christian calendar, and that is Easter. I, uh, this is the last or second last message on our series in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and uh, we're nearing the end of the story of Jesus' life and his ministry on earth in the flesh. And I came across this quote, and I want to put this into context. Um, motivational speaker, uh, I don't think this guy was a, a Christian, but... His name is Wayne Dyer. He passed away a few years ago, uh, but he was a motivational speaker. And uh, somehow he had this clarity of thought about the importance of love. And he said, there is no greater power in heaven or on earth than pure, unconditional love. What do you think? There is no greater power than the power of love. We often sing about that, but do we really believe that? I was thinking about, thank you, Boer, for that wonderful prayer. Thank you, brother. Thank you for praying for the Ukraine. And, and, and uh, I, I think about the people of Ukraine and how their love for their country has um, given them the courage to fight for their country, their freedom, their sovereignty at great personal sacrifice. Only love could get somebody to do that. Love of country in this case. So my prayer for myself is that I will learn how to love more deeply. And that begins with my love for Christ. I want to love him more fervently um, I don't know. There's times when I feel my heart is cold. And it's in those moments that I know I need to draw into his presence. The Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Who... Who's, who says something like that? I want to know his power, but I also want to know his suffering, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. That could only come from a place of profound love for Christ. He loved him that much from a place, from a heart of worship. What else but love could compel the Christian martyrs? And we have martyrs today in the world. Why would they give up their lives so sac willingly, sacrificially, joyfully, if they didn't love Christ supremely, even more than family, relationship, freedom, or even their own lives. And that's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. All the eloquence in the world is not more important than love. And then he says, if I have the gift of prophecy 
And if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And then he says this, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love trumps everything. Love for Christ. Jesus said the world out there will know that we are his followers, his disciples, if we have love for him and for one another. Oh, God, give me that love. I can't do that on my own. So we get to Mark chapter 14. If you've got a Bible, please turn to this. Um, Mark chapter 14. And I'm going to just begin, I'm just going to read this as we move through the passage. It says in Mark chapter 14, beginning at the first verse, now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Now, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, and John all reference the event that we're about to look at. What happens next? Um, There is an unnamed woman in the gospel of Mark that we're going to read about in verse 3. And we do learn, if you compare the gospel of Mark's rendering of this to that in the gospel of John, we find out that she is Mary the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. So here is this woman, Mary. And here are the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the scribes. What a contrast. What we uh, see here is Mary's devotion to Jesus Sandwiched between extraordinary malice and extraordinary betrayal. Because in verse 11 of this passage, it ends by saying that Jesus, that Judas was about to betray his Lord, Jesus. And what a contrast. So Mary, it says in verse 3, let's read this together. While he was in Bethany, Reclining at the table, it was a dinner, in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. You know that twice a year in this church, we uh, receive an alabaster offering, and we just did one recently. And the idea was that uh, we, we, we put in our coins and and different things, uh, sources of money uh, that goes to build hospitals and schools and churches and so on abroad. So she she comes and she breaks this expensive jar of perfume over Jesus. She broke the jar and poured the perfume out on his head. Now, anointing someone in the ancient world, like pouring like oil or, some, or a perfume over someone's head was not an unusual thing, but to have a woman, just like an ordinary common woman do this, was unusual. And it tells us here that it was an expensive perfume. And I want you to notice the response here of the other guests in the home. It says, some of those present, this is verse 4, were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? 
It could have been used for more than a year's wages, and the money could have been given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. He said this could have been, this was worth more than a year's wages. Um, I, I read a, a commentary on this and found out that 300 denarii, what they believed that was worth, would have fed probably seven or 8,000 people one meal. And she wasted it on Jesus. But it was her act of devotion that came from a place of deep, deep love for her Savior, Jesus Christ. She brought the very best that she had to offer, and she wasted it on Jesus. Love is costly. Maybe we could say that out loud. Can we do it? Love is costly? Love is costly. Absolutely. And love is the language of worship. Worship demands the best that we have. Our worship needs to be always offering our first and the best of what we have. Not being stingy with God, but being generous with him because he was generous with us. It's interesting. This is Mary of Bethany, as I said, sister of Lazarus and Martha, we believe. And uh, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of another little incident that happened in Mark chapter 12. Do you remember the story about the widow? She comes to the temple and all the people are coming to the temple treasury and they're dumping in their offerings. And she comes and all she has is two coins. Two small coins, not worth very much. And Jesus says this of this widow. This is Mark chapter 12, 43 to 44. It won't come up on the screen. He says, calling his disciples, Jesus said, truly I tell you that this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all, they all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. She gave it all, much like Mary but in verses 4 and 5, it says that the other guests rebuked her harshly. They said she should have sold the perfume and used the money for the poor. What a waste of resources. I have to admit, I am a very, I find myself being a very pragmatic person, uh, quite utilitarian. Um, I think things need to be useful. And I don't like to see a lot of waste. I'm always turning lights out at the church. You know, I turn the thermostat down when, you know, as much as I can. I like it warm, but I don't like to waste. And it's kind of interesting. She wastes all of this on Jesus. But Jesus says in verses 6 and 7, it says that he commends her. And he says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. And that beautiful thing, the word for beautiful is kalos, which means something that is lovely. Uh, and it, the other word is uh, ergon, which means a work, effort. And he says, she's done a good work. 
And good works for the Jewish people were things like alms, like giving alms like to the poor. Uh, things like if you provide lodging, hospitality to strangers, that's a good work. If you visit the sick, that's a good work. When you bury the dead and honor them, that's a good work. But he's saying what she did was a beautiful thing. It was a good work. And then he says in verse 7, the poor you'll always have with you. You can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. Who talks that way? Jesus. He knew who he was. He knew that he was God in the flesh, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He knew what his mission was. He came to die, to pour out his life. The way that she poured out that perfume on him, he was going to pour out his blood for you and for me. He understood that kind of sacrifice, that love is costly. Now, you might think by reading verse 7 that Jesus doesn't care about the poor. He did care deeply. He said in the Gospel of Luke near the beginning, he said of himself, he said, I've come to preach good news to the poor. Jesus was all about encouraging the poor. But in this case, he was saying there's something more important going on than just giving to the poor. You'll have other opportunities, he's saying. So, as I'm reading this in preparation for this message, um, you know, I, I wondered, did Mary really understand the significance of what she was doing? Like, what made her do that? Knowing that it really wasn't her place, knowing that she would probably be rebuked, which she was, what made her do that? Well, Jesus says this in verse 8. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Jesus knew what was awaiting him in just a few days. He said, she did this to prepare for my burial. Did she understand that? Most Bible scholars don't think she really understood the significance of it. But guess who did understand the significance of it? Jesus. And the question is, I wondered, well, why did she do it? She did it for him. Here Jesus is about to face his darkest hour. Do you remember when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he's praying, and one of the Gospels says that he began to sweat profusely as though, as though sweating drops of blood. And he's in anguish, and he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup, the cup of suffering, pass from me. But then he says, but not my will, but yours be done. He was in deep anguish. He knew what he was facing. He knew he was going to face the cross. I don't think Mary understood the significance of it. She did it for him. She may not even have known what this did for him. Here he is before he's going to face his darkest hour. She pours out her love. That perfume was like expression of her love for him. And she pours it out, I think, to the last drop. Extravagantly. Do we, do I love him extravagantly? I want to. 
That's what changes the world. So why did she do it? What possessed her to do it? In a word, love. She loved Jesus deeply. And the reason she loved him deeply is because he, she knew that he loved her deeply. I don't know that I'm absolutely right on this, but I have a pretty good hunch that we're not capable of love until we've received love. And I wonder how many people go to church and have never truly understood how much God loves them. She had somehow received his love. She knew his forgiveness, his acceptance, and she loved him in return. You know, that's why in 1 John chapter 4 it says, we love because he first loved us. We love him because he loved us first. We love one another because he loved us first. To experience love increases our capacity to love in return. Um, how many of you grew up watching Mr. Rogers? Come on, don't be embarrassed. How many of you grew up watching Mr. Rogers? What? Okay, okay, uh, there's more. Okay, some of you were a little bit nervous to put up your hands. So um, I'm, I'm going to pick on Thomas in the back who's running the slides. And I said to him, I said, hey, there's an, there's an image that I've got that's going to come up on the screen. It's about Mr. Rogers. And he looked at me like, who's Mr. Rogers? <laughs> but you're only 13, right, Thomas? Okay. Uh, so the man on the right, of course, is Mr. Rogers. And they must be at some kind of a gala. The man on his left is Tom Junod. He was a journalist. I think he worked, um, oh, it doesn't matter what newspaper he worked for. But he was tasked to do a story on Mr. Rogers. And what he did is he kind of did these exposés, but people were nervous when Tom Junod came to do a story on them because usually it wasn't very flattering. He would always look for the dirt. He wanted to see what was under the fingernails. You know what I mean? And, and he, was, he just had become this very, very cynical person and, and, and jaded uh, with life. And so he, when he reluctantly went to do the story of Mr. Rogers, he goes onto the set of the Mr. Rogers show, and he's got the sock puppets and the whole thing, and there's the whole camera crew. And uh, by the way, Tom Hanks did a movie, you know, called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Some of you probably saw it. And uh, he goes onto the set, and he's skeptical. I mean, you just know this guy's skeptical. He just kind of wants to get it over with. And so anyway, he tries to interview Mr. Rogers, and uh, at the beginning, with not so much success, because Mr. Rogers begins to interview him. You know, uh, and so Mr. Rogers begins to kind of uh, deconstruct him and unravel him. And it was like Mr. Rogers, somehow, with eyes of love and compassion for this cynical, skeptical journalist, was somehow able to see the little boy in him. He saw his heart. And the rest of the story is, and I would really encourage you to watch the movie, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood of Tom Hanks. Um, this man is transformed by his relationship with Mr. Rogers. Because what happened is it wasn't just an interview anymore. It wasn't just a story for the newspaper. This man began to bond with Mr. Fred Rogers, who loved him. He realized that the, the persona on the, Mr., on the Mr. Rogers TV show for children 
was the same as Fred Rogers who lived at home with his wife. They were the same person. There was nothing phony. And he, he sensed the love and the compassion of Mr. Rogers for him. And this man was a troubled soul. And he was transformed. That's what we need to experience with Jesus. And there's so much about us, and I, 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 you know, I can sort of confess, I mean, I think you folks know I, I memorize a lot of scripture, and I love the Bible, I love to learn, I love doctrine, I love theology, but you know what, folks? I want to love him more deeply so that I can pour out my life and if necessary, my blood, if I was called upon to do so. You know, when Mr. Zelensky of the Ukraine said, I'm not going to leave the country, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition, he was ready to do that for his country. Would we do that for Jesus? Revelation 12, verse 11, I think it is, says, they did not love their lives even to death. Jesus said of the Ephesian church in Revelation 2, verse 1, he said, you've left your first love. You've fallen away. You've left your first love. It's all about love. He says in verse 8, she did what she could. You know, I, I, I guess she didn't have a lot to give. You know, there are people in this world that don't have a lot of cash. They don't have a lot of savings. They don't have a lot of, you know, they don't have material wealth, but they might have one thing that's a prized possession. She had that, and she poured it out on him. And when she did it, all the eyebrows of the room, I imagine, were raised like, oh, what is she doing? They somehow knew the contents, the priceless contents of what was in that flask. And all they could come up with was pious cliches. Well, if it was me, I would have sold it and given it to the poor. Phony. That was just all hypocrisy. And they all just piled on this poor woman. And it was Judas, we learn, in another gospel, who objects the most strenuously. And he says, you could have given it to the poor. And yet he himself, this is what it says in the Gospel of John, Judas didn't say that because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as, keeper, as the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He had a guilty conscience. And people with guilty consciences are often critical of others who do the very things that they do. So there's all this hypocrisy going on. But then in verses 10 and 11, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, after, you know, he and the others criticized her so harshly, he says he went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. You know, after all that, you know, pious platitudes about giving to the poor, and he gets paid for it, 30 pieces of silver to betray his Lord. It says they were delighted to hear this and they promised to give him money and so he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. So these other guests just didn't get it. They didn't understand. It never really sinks in who this rabbi is, that he is the Messiah, their king and the son of God. And it's kind of interesting what she did. I mean, that, that act of worship that seems very unexpected by the other guests. Um, I find myself sometimes 
when I see people really uh, exuberant in the way they worship, I remember back in the old days, I used to get kind of annoyed. I thought, what? Yeah, they're just showing off. You know, I'd see, I, I remember once seeing a person dancing at the back of the sanctuary, and I was thinking, you know, I'm standing, I was judging, you know, like, but, you know, who does he think he is anyway? And I, I just remember feeling that way. And there's still times in my life when I'm tempted to judge how other people express their love and their acts of worship. But that's none of my business. God's called me to worship, not to be a critic. You know, I'm called to be a worshiper, not a critic. You know, it's interesting. When the Ark of the Covenant, this is going way back in the Old Testament. It's in Kings. David is coming in, and they're singing, and they're playing their instruments, and the Ark of the Covenant is being carried into the city of Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God, the glory of God. And David is just rejoicing, and he gets excited, and he strips down to the linen. He wasn't in his underwear, but he was in the, the ephod, the linen. And he's dancing wildly, and it says that Michal, King Saul's daughter, the previous king, his daughter's looking out the window at him, and she despises him. Like, look at the fool here. That's kind of what I think was going on in this home. They're looking at this woman like she's a fool. She's wasting all this. And I think what these guests didn't understand when Jesus was in their midst is that they were on holy ground. They were on holy ground. So it's too bad that these guests probably were in Jesus' orbit, you know, social circle for a few years how many people go to church week after week month after month year after year decade after decade but never ever comprehend what mary seemed to know how about you and me to be honest i don't think the lord cares how much scripture i memorize or that i've got a master of divinity from Nazarene Theological Seminary. I don't think he cares about how well I preach or how poorly. I think what he cares about is what's in here. We know from the Bible that God does not look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And Mary had heart. She was a soul on fire, aflame with love for Jesus. So we have to make a choice you know, am I going to be a critic when I go to church? When I go to Bible study? When I'm in the fellowship? Or will I humble myself like a little child and be a worshiper and say, Lord, I'm not here to judge anybody else. You judge me. Judge me. So my question really is for you. Are you just an observer or are you a worshiper? Are you an observer or a worshiper? You can come to church and you can sit there and just observe. You know, things are going on. You can look around, see what everybody's doing, who's singing, who's not. Why is that person over there acting like that? You know, I wish those kids would sit still. Or you can be a worshiper. 
Now, that's only the grace of God. I find myself sometimes distracted. One of the benefits, by the way, of sitting in the front is you don't see all that stuff going on because it's behind you. When you're in the back, it's way easier. So I, next Sunday, everybody's going to sit in the front row and there won't be room, right? Okay. But, but, you know, I find for me, you know, I'm a little bit like, squirrel, you know, what was that? You know, so I, I, I need to eliminate distractions. But I have to tell you, when I come to church, when I come to a Christian gathering of any kind, a Bible study, a prayer meeting, if I come with a heart of love for my Savior, Jesus Christ, it sure makes it a lot easier not to be critical. I want to be a worshiper, not an observer. I want to let him in. Mary could have used that perfume, sold it. She could have spent the money on herself, really. But love is costly. So there's something very, very... I I said earlier that I I tend to be very pragmatic, and many of us are like that. We're what you call utilitarian. We're always looking for the utility and the usefulness of things. So church boards, church committees sit around, and we're we're looking at how to spend or invest the Lord's money. And so, you know, we get, you know, we look at the, 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 the spreadsheet, and we want to make sure that there's a good return on investment, right? ROI, we want a good return on investment. What Mary did was, what was the return on investment there? She wasted it. Like they could have fed maybe seven or 8,000 people. And I fear for the church when everything is calculated. The value of things is determined by what we can get out of it. But it isn't always like that. Not everything of value is useful. So I want to ask you in closing, who are you in this story? As I was preparing this, I was asking myself, who am I? I think I could easily become one of those other guests. And that's why I need to be in his presence every day. That's why I spend time in the morning with him, because I would easily get off the path and my heart would grow cold. So would you have been, you think, if you're just being honest with yourself, would I have been one of those who would have stood back in horror and revulsion and criticized? Or could I, maybe I'd be Mary, would you? Or would you like to be Mary? Oh, I'd like to love Jesus that way. I don't think she understood what she was doing. Most Bible scholars don't think she really got the total significance. You know what it was? Sometimes the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart and you have no idea why. The, Lord, the Holy Spirit might say, I want you to do this. And you go, what? That doesn't make any sense. Just do it. When Abraham was called to go take his son to Mount Moriah and sacrifice, he had no clue. Really. He just obeyed. Mary understood that. She was prompted by the Holy Spirit. And she poured out that perfume so I want to be a worshiper how about you to worship him in spirit and in truth from a place of love God called us and he created us to be worshipers for me it's easier to be a student and students approach Jesus from the level of the head Mary approached him from the heart we need some head but we also need heart she was an outsider 
She was just a woman. And women really had no class. I mean, they had class, but they were looked upon as having no class. And Jesus says, because of what she did, this story will be told forever. Here we are in the year 2022, and I and probably many other pastors around the world are preaching on this passage. I like what Pastor Trent said last week. And I think it was referencing Mark 14, verse 58. He said, Jesus knew that his disciples would all fall away. They would flee, desert him. But he had already prepared a way back after they had fallen away. It's not too late for you. And it's not too late for me if we'll just humble ourselves. So here's what we're going to do. I would like us to bow our heads, and I'd like to invite you to pray with me. And this is the response. And this is really a a call to action, if you will. And if you're watching online, wherever you are, just would you just be in an attitude of prayer right now and be uh, come before God with your heart and not just your head. And if you find your heart is cold, would you just say, Lord, soften my heart? Take away my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh, Lord. I want to experience your love for me. To know how much, how costly your love was for me. That you would suffer on the cross for a sinner like me. And so, Lord, today I repent. I'm sorry for being critical. I'm sorry that I haven't loved you as you've loved me. I'm sorry, Lord, for those times I've been so practical and calculating that I forgot what it is to worship you to love you so Lord I come before you today like a little child I humble myself before you you said no one can see the kingdom of God unless they come as a little child so Holy Spirit I ask that you would illuminate my heart Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me. Any offensive way in me, Lord. See if there is. If there is, Lord, expose it right now. I confess it. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, would you give me a heart of worship today? A heart that knows how to love you the way that Mary loved you. Lord, may I be broken and spilled out as that perfume was broken and spilled out. Lord, I don't want to just be a Christian. I want to be Christ-like. So, 
Lord, I pray that you would set my heart ablaze with love for you. That you would change me from the inside out. Transform me into your likeness. And may my love be expressed to you and to all those around me. May I be changed. And may I be the change. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just before we go, um, I mentioned in the message that, you know, I start my day in the morning. And usually, most often in an unrushed fashion, I have to confess sometimes, uh, I'm a little hurried, but most often not. I cannot tell you how important that time is. It doesn't have to be in the morning. It could be at noon. It could be at supper. It could be at night. Mary poured it all out, and she gave the best that she had. It was costly. Her love for Christ was costly. And I find, for me, I sometimes do sacrifice sleep. When I was a young man, a young Christian, I didn't know what that was like. I, I didn't know how to. My sleep was so precious to me. <laughs> I needed that extra half hour, that extra hour. And I'm not a natural morning person like Pastor Blaine is. <laughs> but, no, that's good. I, I really respect that. But I, I've just never been able to do that naturally. I, I feel terrible in the morning. But I need that time. It's, 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 it's food. It's my drink. And I just cannot express, if, if you want to be more like a Mary, stop looking at people. Focus on Jesus. And the only way I know that you can do that and, and to really understand that and to grow deep in your love and your devotion is you need to spend time in his presence. And honestly, I keep saying this, but hardly anybody takes me up on it. If you want to know how to do that, please ask me. But there's others that can help you. I think Pastor Blaine, Pastor Trent, there's lay people here in the church, many of you, that can do that. And so I do encourage you, start today, start tomorrow, if you wish. But let's put him first. Let's love him supremely the way he's loved us. God bless you all. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And all God's people said enthusiastically, amen. amen. God bless you.